As you can see, I am in uh, Columbus, Ohio, giving a talk tonight. So I am in a hotel. <laughs> so there you go. So, that's why we have all those pictures behind me and everything and no cross and that. So we'll see what's going on here. I'm just trying to bring up my feed here on my other computer on my laptop. Here we go. Perfect. That should help. I can see we're on here. I can see all our names. So, again, welcome. You have come to Anchored in Hope with Father Larry Richards. And um, every week we try to answer questions. We try to bring hope um, and focus on the reality that God's light is stronger than any darkness in our world, in our lives, in our church, everywhere. Hope is always stronger. And so <clears throat> to focus on God, to focus on hope, to focus on the love of uh, God and the love of others. So first thing we need to do, all hope begins in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and mercy, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to know your love, to experience your love, and to bring your love to others. Help us to be instruments of hope to the world. We beg you these things, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And our Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome. Again, the way we work things here is um, I go back and forth from questions on the internet, and you notice there are lots of them this week. Oh, for goodness sakes. And the questions you answer me on, uh, yeah, yeah, write to me on the live chat, even though someone looks like they've written a thousand things. Uh, keep it to a couple. That would be nice, you know. So, And again, I don't know what you are doing with all these birthdays here. That's This isn't the place for it. This is the place to, answer, to ask questions. So please... Um, I don't know what all these are for, but okay. So we come here and we just, uh, this is the place to ask questions and for me to answer. So let's go through and start with the first one from Mila. In Mark chapter 5, 25 to 34, the bleeding woman touched Jesus' garment, verse 30. Jesus, aware at once that the power had gone out of him, asked who touched my clothes. Is this kind of human will imposed? Is this a kind of human will imposed on Jesus? <clears throat> this isn't kind of a human will. It is a human will that Jesus Christ is one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man at the same time. We call this the hypostatic union. Now, because you know, how do you understand the mind of God, or uh, the incarnation, or the mystery of the Trinity? or the mystery that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. In his humanity, he had to grow in all things. He had to grow in knowledge. You know, again, the word of God says that Jesus was obedient to his parents. You know, after the uh, finding of Jesus in the temple, it says Jesus was obedient to them and he grew in wisdom and knowledge. So again, Jesus had to grow in his humanity. If he, if he, didn't have to grow in knowledge, then he wasn't like us in all things but sin. But the word of God is clear that he was like us in all things but sin. So there are some, some things he explicitly said he doesn't know. He says when the end was coming, he doesn't know it's reserved to the Father because when he was speaking, he was speaking in his humanity. And when I asked that, I remember I was a newly ordained priest and there is a great priest, Father Levis, and he was teaching us a theology class in graduate school. <clears throat> and I says, how, do, how does this get? I says, and the way I explained it is, it, is it like Jesus had amnesia, meaning that when Jesus Christ was born, he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe. But before he entered into our skin and became one with us, he willed that he would have amnesia about who he was, even though he had all the power, had all the grace, he was still 100% God, but he willed ahead of time that he would grow like any human being so he could understand us from the inside. 
so he could love us from the inside, so he could save us from the inside. And he said, well, yeah, it's as good as exact explanation as any. So, so that's the way I've explained it all these years. Uh, yes, he had a, a fully human will. So anyway, we go on. Thank you for that question. Let's take one of these from here. Okay. Dear Father, my 31-year-old adult daughter who was raised Catholic is now pretty much an agnostic. Growing up, she received the sacraments of baptism, reconciliation, Eucharist, and confirmation. I pray daily for her to return. I also ask her guardian angel and her confirmation, Saint Saint Martha, to intercede on her behalf. She is a single mom to our to our three granddaughters, age eight, six, ten, eight, and six. What else do you suggest? The first thing I suggest is you, you go to St. Monica, because St. Monica prayed for St. Augustine, and St. Augustine became one of the greatest saints. So uh, to have her to truly intercede for your uh, daughter, too. The second thing is I always, everyone that's away from the church in my life and my family, I've always put in the Blessed Mother's arms. And Mary has always got everyone back for me. You know, and so that would be the second thing. So you'd say, you could say the rosary for her every day and you put her name in there. So you say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, pray for and insert your daughter's name in there now and at the hour of her death, amen. Another thing you can do, of course, is say the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Now, again, when you're praying for somebody, <clears throat> You are like today in Columbus, the sun is shining here, huh? And uh, the rays of the sun are always out. The sun always shines, it can't do anything else. That's what the sun is, it's the essence of the sun. And so God's grace is everywhere, it's always outpouring, just like the rays of the sun. Now, if you take a magnifying glass and you put it in front of, uh, outside in the sun, you can set a piece of paper on fire. When you pray for people and fast for people, which would be my next next suggestion, you become a, a spiritual magnifying glass. And God's grace, which is everywhere, is focused through you on the person you're praying for, and they can be set on fire, okay? So especially when it comes to your daughter, your grandkids, just do that. And then, uh, again, say the Divine Mercy Chaplet, but put her name in. Because of a sorrowful passion, have mercy on my daughter and put her name in and on the whole world. Again, you want to take it to the next level as you fast. And it doesn't, doesn't have to be big fast. It could be little fast. It could be, you know, bread and water on Friday. It could be giving up TV once a week. It could be uh, whatever it is. But say, God, I fast today, whatever way that God's calling you to fast for the conversion of my daughter and bringing her home. But finally, what she needs to know, she can't be guilted into God. Too many Catholics go to church and come back to church because of guilt. And that's always about them. And it's always about fear. The deepest need in everyone's heart is to be loved, correct? And if the deepest need in everyone's love heart is to be loved, the only one who will meet that need is God. Sometimes we hit people with the judgment of God and, you know, uh, Catholic Mass is now available again and a lot of bishops are saying it's now an obligation you will go to Mass on Sunday and it's a serious sin to miss Mass on Sunday. Very good. We're scaring people back into the faith, which is fine. I'm not a bishop. Uh, whatever it is. So that's what, uh, what we should do uh, is love them back home and just keep loving her, huh? When she sees her mother and she sees what a loving person she is and that your mother, you do everything for her out of love, she'll be attracted to that and she can come home. Okay? Great question. Okay, let's go back here. Do, 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 do. What's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? A disciple is uh, the people that follow Jesus anyone who followed Jesus, and a disciple, uh, an apostle is one of the 12 that Jesus chose to be the leaders of the faith. So like again, today would be the bishops are the apostles and uh, we're the disciples, you know? And so that's the simplest way to answer that question. Uh, but again, I don't think a lot of people are true disciples though. I think we have a lot of people that are fans. You know, there's a great book uh, written by a Protestant, but it's called uh, Not a Fan. And fans will follow uh, people that they like 
and they'll root for them when they're doing well and they'll walk away from them when they're not. They won't, um, it doesn't cost them anything. But to be a disciple means that I no longer live, Jesus lives inside of me. To be a disciple means you've really given up everything to follow Jesus. So a lot of people that I would go to Mass on Sunday are not disciples, not even close. They go to Mass. But again, as I've said a million times, you can be an atheist and go to Mass every Sunday. You can be an atheist and go to daily Mass. If that's part of your moral reality or you're trying to get God to do things for you, you could be superstitious. There's a lot of stuff. But to be a disciple, the way I've always explained what discipleship is, is you do three things. One is every day you have to sit at the feet of the master. So every day you go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do today? God, I'm not interested in what the world says about money or pleasure or uh, physical health. I'm interested in what you say. So you spend time sitting at the feet of the uh, master every day. That means you have daily committed prayer and you spend time in the word of God because that's how God speaks to us is in his word and through his word. So to be a disciple, first thing is you have daily committed prayer. Again, I'm harder and harder on people when they come into confession. I let everything go except when I say, are you praying every day? And they say no. And I say, well, your salvation depends on it. The day you drop dead to God, the universe is going to look at you and say, I love you very much, and I'll now give you what you love the most forever. And it wasn't me, because you couldn't even pray every day. So to truly be a disciple means you have daily committed prayer, you're reading the scripture because you're listening to what God says. Again, too many people, when they go to pray, it's all about God, here's what I want you to do. Do what I want you to do, or I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to be mad at you. I'm not going to pray anymore. So it's we determine then... Um, our relationship with God instead of letting him have in charge, having complete control of us. You know, it's not making Jesus Lord. And there used to be a sign I used to have on my mirror until someone asked for it years ago, but it says, uh, sometimes I think I have fully surrendered. And then he asked me for something I'm not willing to give up. Is there anything in your life that you wouldn't give up for Jesus? What if he asked you to give up your all your money to give it all up, to give up your health, to give up everything, to pick up that cross every day. Would you do it? Would you be willing to do it? Knowing that if he asks you for that, he will be willing and able to bless you even more. But a lot of times people just don't trust God. So I gotta do it my way. And that isn't doing anything except making me the Lord of my life and making God my divine rabbit's foot I pull out so he can help me do what I want and get what I want. So the first thing we got to do to truly be a disciple is we got to sit at the feet of the master every day. The second thing we got to do is that we got to develop the attitude of the master. Now to develop the attitude of the master, that means we think the way Jesus thinks. We don't think the way a Democrat thinks. We don't think the way a Republican thinks. We don't think the way an American thinks. We don't think the way an Indian thinks. We think the way Jesus thinks. We develop the attitude of the master. Now again, most people today are trying to make God think what they think instead of thinking what God thinks. And so again, what does God think? Like this morning when I went to the Word of God and I opened up to get my day going here at 3.55 in the morning, speak to my heart your word, he brought me to Philippians chapter two. Again, the second time in a week. And again, though he was in the form of God, it says, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. So what does it mean to have the attitude of Christ? That we become servants or slaves every day. And to go right before that, it starts at, you must have the attitude of Christ before he says, though he was in the form of God. And he says that we must think humbly of ourselves and others as more important than us. I know I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Putting others' interests over our own. Now again, this is where it becomes problematic because 
too many of us want to do it our way and we're pointing for our rights and it got to be what I'm thinking of and you're not going to tell me to do anything because it's my right to do whatever and you're all, I don't care if it affects you. This is about me. A Christian never says, this is about me. A Christian, a disciple always says, it's always about him and about others. That's what the cross is, to pick up your cross every day. So the second thing to be a disciple is we think the way God thinks. We don't make him think the way we think. Second thing, third thing, to become a true disciple. And to be a true disciple means that we are transformed into the master. So the first thing is we sit at the feet of the master. The second thing, we develop the attitude of the master. And the third thing is, is we're transformed into the master. Every Every day, the people that we meet say the same thing to us, we who say we're followers of Jesus. Sir or ma'am, I would like to see Jesus. Do people see Jesus when they look at us? And again, I'm just telling you the call. I'm sure I know that Jesus, they don't see Jesus all the time when people look at me. Too often they see me. I keep trying to grow and I want to grow. My desire is to truly be his disciple. But to be totally honest with you, there are days I'm not a very good disciple of Jesus. But all those things I talked about are what I want with all my being. And that's what we all got to want if we're going to be a disciple. Not many of us were called to be apostles today. But we're all called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, sit at the feet of the master, develop the attitude of the master, be transformed into the master. We bring Jesus to others because Jesus lives inside of us. Okay. What is the church's understanding of the rights of the faithful? I understand <laughs> the rights of the faithful. Here we go. I understand that the confessional seal is a right of the faithful and grave penalties attached to its violation. But receiving communion reverently on the tongue is also the right of the faithful. And in numerous dioceses, that right was suspended by the bishops before and after the initial COVID quarantine, a decision that was held up by the, the Rome. Might we also someday see the right confidential confession suspended in a case of similar grave circumstances? No, it's two entirely different things. We're not telling people they can't receive Jesus. Again, in you, what Jesus wants of you isn't your right. He wants of you your heart, your humility, and your humility. Like if 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 someone told me for the rest of my life I have to. Um, crawl on my knees on glass to get Jesus. I'll do it. If someone just tells me to receive Jesus, I have to receive it in the hand for the good of others. Because I was very strong on this, because I was very sick. And some people pushed their rights over my health. And that drove me crazy. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ when you don't care if your priest drops dead? and get sick and die for your right. It drives me crazy when people sit there and make these type things. What you should be doing is humbling yourself, humbling yourself, humbling yourself, humbling yourself the way God did, though he was in the form of God. He had a right to all of us to worship him all the days of our life, but he doesn't make us do that. And if God leaves heaven and humbles himself and lets us crucify him, he wants you to do the same. God looks at your heart when you receive communion. Is your heart humbled before God? Are you humble before God? Or do you just demand your right? Communion in the tongue is a glorious thing. But you know what? People sin worse with their tongues than they do with their hands. People say horrible things about others. People say things in anger. They tear others down. And they say, oh, here, put it on my tongue because it's more holy. The apostles in the early church did not receive communion on the tongue. That, was, uh, the, that practice did not come in until much later. They all received in the hand. Now, I get why we're receiving a tongue. I get it. And, and, and again, 
if it's not making you stay focused on you, then fine. But if the, if the Pope and the Bishop say that you for this time, so other people don't get sick, then you humble yourself and say, I agree, I'll do whatever I'm asked for the good of somebody else. I have such great friends. Very, every day, every day, every day I've used, uh, received communion on the tongue. As soon as their bishop asked, they says, I will be obedient. It wasn't my diocese, another diocese. I just thought, here's a true follower of Jesus. It isn't about them. It's about others. And that's what we're doing. You know, someone... Uh, talked to me and was very upset that we'd have to still wear masks if you're not vaccinated in my parish. And I says, uh, well, the, the bishop asked that that happen because of the CDC, whatever. And they were just, how dare you? And that, that, that. It's okay for them to make a decision for them and their family. But I, as a father, have to make a decision about everyone in my parish, those who are healthy, those who are not. And if it just asks someone to wear a mask to keep someone else as best as possible. It does. Of course, it's not foolproof. Of course not. But when we put other people first, that's what God wants us to do. It just is. Now, I know some of you are going to completely, completely disagree with me, and that's okay. But I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what the church thinks. I'm going to tell you that all of us have to humble ourselves more. Again, what did St. Augustine say when someone asked him, what's the three greatest virtues? He said, the first one is humility. The second one is humility. The third one is humility. We must humble ourselves if we're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Even if you ever get to Rome and you go into the holy, uh, the, uh, the, uh, not the Holy Sepulcher, but the, uh, the, um, the, the place where Jesus was born, there was a sh very small, small door and you had a bow to get into there. And so they were trying to make it clear that the only way to enter the kingdom is through humility. Because if you receive on the tongue and your heart is filled with pride, the body of Christ, the bread of life can become the bread of death because pride is the core sin of everyone. You will never go wrong in humility. You will go wrong forever with pride. Okay, so I know people get irritated with me, but again, people are allowed to spoo off and say things, well, me too sometimes, I don't know. Let's go on, sorry. Uh, Father, my wife and I watch you daily mass almost every day, I, and please, Everybody's been uh, uh, saying, uh, you know, like, Father, it's very hard to say Mass. I can't even tell you how frustrated I am with everything that's been happening with our live stream. We had yesterday four, and a supervisor, people from uh, Spectrum there. They redid every wire. It's happened to all kinds of places. And now we had, and still was having a problem as uh, <laughs> this morning when he had 15-minute Mass. Well, I had a long mass, but it only recorded 15 minutes. And again, people say, it's very hard. I get it. I get it. I get it. I know it. When you say nasty things, or you're just it doesn't help me at all. It just makes me like, I know, I know, I know. So we've had all kinds of people in today. They think they got it fixed. I don't know. But it's frustrating. All the money we've put into it, all the different stuff, I know. So please pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for me. And you tell, I just get frustrated too. Honest to goodness. So, sorry, that was, an, that was an aside. Okay. My question is, do we get the full benefit of the blessing of the Mass, whether we watch you live or recorded? Again, I've said again and again, you get the full benefit either way. Why? Because God is in an eternal now. And uh, every time we go to Mass, Eternity folds into time and time folds into eternity and we're at the Last Supper now. We're at the resurrection now. We're at the, uh, um, uh, the crucifixion now. Everything is now before God. So whenever we enter into that, we get to experience the nowness as long as we're truly entering in and not just going through the motions of a mass. So either way, you get to experience uh, God in his, pre excuse me, in his presence. Okay.
Father, what advice would you offer someone struggling to discern his vocation in life, specifically if he feels he is called to the priesthood but struggles with a history of addiction and lingering loneliness? Again, even vocation isn't truly about you. It's about what God created you for. So you never focus on yourself and your weakness. You only focus on God and his strength. If God calls you to the priesthood, then he will give you the strength for the priesthood. He has called very sinful people, St. Augustine being one of them. St. Augustine, uh, remember he used to, prayer he used to make all the time is God, make me pure, just not yet. He struggled with great addiction. And yet God set him free because God had a plan for his life. Your vocation isn't your choice. Your vocation is your call from God. And if God has called you to that, and you won't know that unless you go to the seminary and they make the decision, the church makes the decision. Every time someone comes and says, I'm called to the priesthood, and the church says, no, you're not called to the priesthood. We don't make a call. God makes the call through the church. And so don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on your weakness. Don't focus on any of that. Focus on God. And the way you can find out if it's God's will is in his will is our peace. You just got to be concerned. You got to really ask yourself, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to give up your life for God? Or are you doing this so people think you're great because you're a priest or, uh, you know, all the old things. Nowadays, it's the exact opposite. People think all us priests are either pedophiles, homosexuals, or uh, uh, we're in it for the money. The respect that automatically comes to priest is not there at all anymore. In fact, one of the few times in my life, it was right after all this stuff hit, and it was the opposite. People have never spit on me or anything else because I think part of the thing is I'm not humble enough that some people would just say, oh, I deserve that. I think I'd knock somebody out if they tried to spit on me because of my issues. But anyway, here I am. I had just done a priest retreat, and everybody was killing me online. A couple of years ago, people were killing me online, asking... Uh, saying the best thing could happen for me to die and I should be damned forever. I'm the worst priest in all the world because they took some of my stuff out of context and they put it all over. If you ever want to sit there and see how evil Father Larry Richards is, you just Google my name and uh, you'll see all kinds of bad stuff that comes up. And they take and some of the things I watch, I go, oh my gosh, <laughs> did I say that? Oh, my. I was talking at a men's conference or whatever, but they only put it like three minutes of the whole thing, so don't put it in context. So I look like a, I'm a nutcase, and I am. But anyway, so here I am. I'm just feeling really bad about myself and about uh, all this stuff. And I, I was at a, uh, I was at the Delta place in uh, Atlanta, and I was in the lounge. And so this young guy came up to me in his 30s. He says, Father, I see that your, uh, your drink is empty. Could I get you another drink? They're free at the, at the lounge, in case you're wondering. But anyway, I said, oh, thank you, sir. And so I guess, sure. And so he went and got me my drink and he brought it over to me. And I said, thank you. Nowadays, they spit on us. And the guy looked at me and he says, Father, they'd have to go through me before they would spit on you. And that made my life. It just did. Because honestly, like the emails that I get, and I don't even see uh, half of them. You know, some can get around, but some go to Mary, most go to Mary Therese and the calls, and you can't directly call me. Why? Because people are very, very nasty. And if I say something like today, you know, and I said something, I'm telling you, people are going to be very nasty. I don't know if it's happened yet that I get a a down thing. Yeah, good. So it'll be happen later. But again, or they'll send me these things. And so Mary Therese doesn't let me see them because it really pulls me down. And so uh, again, we got to just, um, uh, you know, en encourage you, please build up your priests. More than ever, they need your support now. The devil has asked for them all. And the devil, if he can pull your priests down, he, we're in great need of priests. So again, but I just encourage you to go back to the original question about uh, being a priest. If you can see none of us are perfect, you can grow and God can set you free from your addictions. In fact, any of you that have an addiction, Jesus wants to set you free from that addiction. And again, if you need help, 
one of the greatest things you could ever do is go go look at the, just look up today to the the 12 steps of AA. You don't have to sit there and put alcohol in there. You could put your addiction in there and you go through each one that uh, I can't do this myself. I surrender myself to God, you know, and I let him have control of this. I make things and you know, this is when I was young, young in the seminary, before I started, I used to work full time with alcoholics and my spiritual director, Father Pete, said, I want you to go through the 12 steps every day for a while. I said, Pete, I don't have any of those problems. He goes, I want you to go through the 12 steps every day for a while. And I, yes, Pete. And it was very good because it was a very symptom, a systematic way that I surrendered myself more and more to the will of God in my daily life. So you can just go to Google and put 12 steps of AA or all kinds, but put it for your particular thing. Okay, there we go. So Marianne asks, what exactly are the promises of God we can claim as our own? I know that uh, God will never leave you or forsake you, but will he restore me to anything that has been stolen from me like he did for so many people in the Bible, such as Joel? I don't know God's uh, will for you. So when I'm talking about claiming the uh, promises of God, it's claiming salvation, claiming that he'll always love you, claiming it isn't about material things. You know, God isn't the least bit interested in giving us material things. You know, he can bless us, but he gives us blessings so we can bless others, not just for ourselves, you know. Uh, but that being said, God will bless us if we're seeking his will. He's not going to destroy us. But yet, like, I remember years ago, I was go I went to Medjugorje or Fatima or one of them. I was taking a tour over. I really can't remember where it was. It was a Marian shrine. And I've been to almost all of them. And this woman came and she was... Uh, uh, saying that she loved the promises of the rosary or one of the things because with the promises, uh, Mary said, and again, I don't remember this, uh, that she would have no uh, struggles. And I says, oh, you're going to have lots of struggles. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle big time. There is no salvation or uh, Christianity without the cross. Jesus says, no one can be my disciple unless he denies his very self, picks up his cross, and follows me every day. Now think about that. Who of us likes to do that? To deny yourself every day, to pick up your cross every day, to follow in his steps every day, which always goes through crucifixion, but then leads to resurrection. But again, so when God promises those things, he's not just, he's promising us eternal uh, life. He's promising us to be loved. Those are the promises we get, not just to restore. Now, will he restore things? Maybe. I don't know. I just don't know you. I don't know his will for you. Uh, so, but if someone came to me, that's what I would say to them. Okay, let's go back here. Okay, is not getting a vaccine, not being obedient to God. Again, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't tell someone that. I would tell someone that, you know, like my people and my parents, some people have got the vaccine, some have not. But like I say, uh, there's consequences to these things. Like if you didn't get a vaccine in our diocese, the bishop won't let you give out communion. Now, that's the thing. So people at my parish haven't received uh, the vaccine and so the bishop says they can't give out communion and people you know get all upset and i get it uh but there's there's consequences for actions you know uh just like we have consequences if i commit sin there's a consequence for that all this kind of stuff so for the other way now that being said like one of my people at work at my parish or father foundation she can't get because she has uh aphoplactic or whatever that uh, they told her not to get the vaccine. So she can't get the vaccine. So she wears a mask and she uh, stays away from people uh, who could give her that. So like I always say, so in my parish, there's some people who cannot get the vaccine. So we're trying to protect those of the young kids and different things. You know, and the vaccine isn't 100%, even in, our, uh, in Erie, I was watching the news this morning and they said 10 people who already have the vaccine ended up in the hospital because they got they still got the coronavirus. Now, a lot of these people have got that uh, Johnson & Johnson virus, which is only a 70% uh, effective, you know? And so that means 70% effective. That means only 70 people out of 100, or 70 people out of 100, looking at which way you're looking at. That means 30 people out of 100 will still get uh, COVID. 
So I think you gotta make that decision yourselves and I'm not gonna tell anybody which way to go with that. I know I got the vaccine because I wanted to keep my people safe. Because um, I'm on the road and different things and I wanna do everything I could to keep them safe. Now it's not 100%, but at least it's trying and I had no problem with it, you know. So again, uh, no, the answer is, 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 is a sin, the answer is no. Okay, unless God tells you to get it and then you say no to God. So if in your prayer life, God says, yeah, I want you to get that for the good of others and you go, no, God, well, that would be sinful. But if he says, no, I don't want you to get it, then to say, I'm gonna get it anyway, then that would be sinful. So you understand? So again, it's, uh, I just can't um, answer every question completely because I need time to meet with you and talk to you, find out your situation. But objectively, no, it would not be wrong unless God told you specifically. Okay, so let's go here to the next page here. Okay, Pat Jacobson asks, when we die, when we die, we meet Jesus and are sent to heaven or purgatory, hopefully, or hell too, you can go. Uh, but at then at the final judgment, at the end of the world, it is said, we will be judged for all the world to see did our lives. Does that mean we are judged a second time, including souls in heaven and purgatory? Also, do we know if we will know each other in heaven and see our deceased pets in heaven? <laughs> well, there's a couple questions there. First thing is the particular judgments the day you die and uh, you go before God and you go heaven, hell, or purgatory. They didn't talk about hell here, but you can go right to hell. Uh, and then the final judgment is called the justice of God. So everyone sees God's justice. Um, and so then everybody would be like, uh, you get the physical judgment. Because again, remember that whether you're in heaven or hell, ultimately, you're gonna have your bodies back. You know, we're always gonna be a human being forever. You know, Jesus Christ right now has his human body resurrected and he's the Godhead you know, part of the, the Trinity. And yet, he's always divine and human combined, always. That's why when he resurrected, he ate, he did all these things. So everything that happens to Jesus will happen to us. So that means uh, the resurrected body transformed is the same type of thing we're gonna have. We're gonna have a resurrected body. So, uh, but at the end, so you either get your body back and go to hell and it's gonna be a physical suffering at all, for all time, which hopefully none of us ever, ever experience. Or we get to go to heaven and we're glorified uh, with our glorified body. And again, this is the way we explain it now. Is God gonna do it just because we explained it this way? God can do anything he wants. I don't know if we knew that, but he can. So, but again, will we know people? Yes, you're always gonna have, like Jesus still knows his mother, right? He still knows good St. Joseph. They still have relationships. You don't lose your individuality. You know, like I was, uh, I stopped by at the, uh, before I start teaching at the high school I eventually taught at, and someone asked that very question of the theology teacher, that will they know their mother or father in heaven? And uh, Tony says, God rest him, he's gone now. But he says, no, of course not, and you won't care. Isn't that right, Father Larry? And I go, no, it's completely wrong. Of course, you're gonna know people. If, again, the always the way to do it, happen to Jesus will happen to us. So Jesus knew his mother, he knew St. Joseph, he knows all of us individually. You will not lose your individuality when you go to heaven, God willing. Will you see your deceased pets? I think you will. Father Mitch Pacwa completely disagrees with me and uh, many of them down there completely disagree with me. But I think that, uh, you know, God, isn't it great God doesn't listen to us? That God is bigger. He, I swear he laughs at us when we say, well, this is what's going to happen. No pets will be in heaven. Really? So you're the God of the universe and you can make those statements, really? Well, according to this teaching, teaching, yeah, but everything grows, I'm just saying. You know, someone once asked Pope Francis if our pets will be in heaven. What do you think Pope Francis said? Do, 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 do. Yes, so I agree with the Pope. Thank you. Let's go on. Okay. There's videos of the history of St. Joseph Church. Is there one explaining the stained glass windows in the church and the chapel? Stained glass windows in the church and chapel. Not yet, but there will be coming. Uh, I have a, um, uh, yeah. And we also have a book that we're going to be putting out on the chapel. Okay. 
Okay, Father Larry, how do you divert your attention when people leave right after communion? I don't because no one leaves my parish after, uh, right after communion. They know better because that was the very first thing I said the very first day I became pastor. The very first Sunday is, don't you ever insult God in my presence. And if you do, unless, unless diarrhea, he says, running down your leg, then you can leave. And I said, if you do, I don't want you to come back here. I want you to go to another church. Isn't that nasty? But I said, listen, God is God. What it, it's called the Judas shuffle. And then I say, what if God treats you the way you treat him? If every week you leave mass five minutes before it's over, what if God leaves your life five minutes before it's over? You wouldn't like that now, would you? So you stay until every blessing. People, I mean, people just never, ever, ever. If you ever, if you ever watch my uh, Sunday Mass, I'm right at, right before communion, I say, everyone's welcome to receive communion or a blessing. To receive communion, you gotta be Catholic and in a state of grace. If you cannot receive communion for whatever reason, just come to me in the center, put your hand over your heart, and it'll show me you want a blessing, and I'll gladly give you a blessing. I want everyone to feel very welcome in our church, so welcome, you wouldn't even think about insulting Almighty God by leaving before the final blessing. Every week I say it, nobody ever leaves because they know I'm a nutcase about that kind of stuff. Anyway, but maybe I should, let's go here. I know I should pay attention to actions, but do not think about those who do it, but it distracts me. Offer up the distraction for their good because you can't do anything about it. It's up to the pastor, but you sit there and like, let's say you look and say, God bless them and then God can bless them. Okay, let's go on. Now, hi, Father Larry, we love, we're praying for you. Thank you. I'm thankful for 15 minutes, but it is frustrating. Yeah, I know, Pat Wilson. I know, it's frustrating to me. So, I get it. Uh, but you know what? They fixed it. Uh, Mary Therese, just my director, just, uh, they got the full mass off the uh, internet and they posted it. So, the full mass is on YouTube if you want to see the end of it, but... Uh, again, like someone beautifully said this morning, because the homily was there and it stopped right after I held up the Blessed Sacrament of Communion. And the woman says, so I just put it in God's hands and I made a spiritual act of communion at that moment. And you can do that. So it still, instead of being frustrated, it allowed them to have this uh, intimacy with Jesus. And so that can be the greatest thing ever. Okay. Ah, da, da, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Help us with the live streaming mess. There you go. Okay. Walter, read Father Calloway's book, No Turning Back. What a conversion story. Yes. Uh, Mary Craig. Okay, that's just, that's Mary Craig. Okay, we brought that back up. Uh, finally found time. First, all is well with your mom. She's, uh, okay. I'm going on I'm going on vacation this Sunday. No, I'm not fishing. I am going to Vegas. Las Vegas. People go, oh, Father, what are you gonna do in Vegas? I don't gamble. I eat. <laughs> so there's so many places to eat. I love the energy of the place. And uh, you do know, like when I go to Vegas, I do my whole year every day and I say mass every day. And the cathedral is right smack in the center, right next to um I always stay at the Venetian, and then next to that is the Palazzo, and then there's the, their other part next to that. And right there is the, the Cathedral of the Angels, uh, guard, uh, guard, uh, uh, the Angels. So I go there, and it's a great place. You know, so uh, people always go, like I have a good friend who's auxiliary bishop, and I says, hey, you want to go to Vegas? I can never go to Vegas again. Well, why not? Because people will see me. Huh? You know, again, I don't care if people see me. I just don't want people to be, I want, I'm going to be on vacation. So I'm going to have a couple days just to get away. I haven't been away since a year ago in January. Uh, but again, like last time I was there, someone came up and says, Are you Father Larry Richards? Yes. And I was in the candy store, which I shouldn't be in the candy store because I'm a diabetic, but oh, there's a great candy store down here. And they give you free samples. But anyway, I said, yes, hi, how are you? It was great. You know, and so, uh, but I have no problems. There is no vacation from your vocation. So I don't I take a vacation for my vocation. I still do my whole year. I still pray. I still say daily mass. I still say my rosary, divine mercy chaplet. But then I can relax and sit out at the pool. I can go out and have some great breakfast, lunch, and dinners because usually I'm fasting. So it's one of the things I get to spend some great time with a great friend of mine. His wife and kids are letting him go for a couple of days so he can come up and uh, 
he'll, he'll be at another hotel, but we'll meet up for lunch and breakfast and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a couple of days. I really need to get away. That's all. So like when I come here, it's getting away, but I'm still, I have to give talks tonight and uh, all kinds of stuff. So it's, uh, yes. But so pray for me. That's why I'll be back. I'm coming. I get back to Erie tomorrow afternoon. And then I have a wedding rehearsal and then a wedding and then all this stuff for my retreat. And then I have the masses on Sunday and then I'm going to drive up and then fly out. So be praying for me. I'll, I will not be have the daily mass uh, live streamed on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And it will not be live streamed tomorrow. So I'll still have mass everything. I'll still put my homilies on Podbean for you if you're the least bit interested, but you have to go to Podbean. It'll be posted on our, our, our other stuff too, of course. But yes, I'm going to Vegas uh, for... A couple days. Uh, I don't get there till 8.30, 8.40 at night on Sunday, and I leave Wednesday morning at uh, 6 o'clock, so two days. But anyway, I'll give me some break. That's where I'm going. Okay, still working on the board. Yes, passion play. Yes, we're going to do the passion play. We did it. Did we do it this year? Yeah, we did it this year. Oh, am I going on the passion play? No, I did that once, and it's a long day. <laughs> but I love Omaromagal. If you have a chance to go, there's a lot of them going. You should go to the Passion Play. It's fantastic. And Oberamagal is fantastic. That's where we got our uh, our nativity set there. Anyway, let me go to here one. Okay, Father, one question I've been asking recently, which was really good and would make a great talking point, was around what makes a properly formed conscience. This was posed during an ethics question. Again, the church always talks about you always have to follow your conscience, but it has to be properly formed conscience, meaning that you have to look at the teachings of the church, understand the teachings of the church, really study the teaching of the church. And what I say is that's still not enough. You got to know Jesus Christ. <sighs> you got to know Jesus Christ. You got to know Jesus Christ. Christ. That means you're talking to him every day. You're listening to him every day. You're developing his attitude. You're truly a disciple. That'll help form your conscience because now you have one purpose, to do the will of God, to make you a saint. And so if you're seeking, everything you're doing is to do God's holy will in your life and you're seeking his will, then that can be the greatest thing. And that'll help you form a properly formed conscience. Okay. Question. My wife goes nuts over people receiving communion in the hand. Help. What can I tell her? Tell them that's the way the, the early church did it. Again, if you look at these hands. Now, these hands are anointed, of course, by the, the bishop to do that. But these hands and your hands have not done as bad as this tongue. So the tongue, which now, you know, okay, well, Father, you have to take it and receive it in a tongue. But the tongue is, uh, let me tell you, just to be completely honest, when I give communion in the tongue, it's hard. Now, there was a priest that says it's the most sanitary way to do it. I completely disagree with him. I've been a priest for 32 years. I have given communion both ways. We're back to giving communion in the tongue at my parish. You're able to do that. You just have to go at the very end because we're supposed to, we have to clean our fingers between. Why? Because when I put that, some people don't put their tongue out far enough and you put it and you get their spit on your finger. So now you have their spit on your finger. So when you give it to someone else, then you can pass that on. So that's why you have to do that. Even if you try to drop it in, sometimes they close their mouth too fast. I'm just telling you the way things are. The honest, honest to goodness, the truth about this stuff. So again, tell her she shouldn't be looking at them. She should be looking at her heart and her heart is filled with pride because she's judging everybody. And if you go to mass and you judge the way other people receive communion, you're not focused on Jesus. You're focused on yourself and you're focused on others and your pride can send you to hell. You can be the purest person in hell, but your pride can still send you to hell. So I wouldn't say that to her exactly like that. She will slap you, but just blame me. That's all. Just blame me. Okay. Uh, I was addicted to porn and did cold turkey and never tried it again. I have been given a healthy fear of the Lord. Father Larry, help me. I see wonderful change in my family. God bless everyone. Good, and that's the biggest thing. Uh, but do it for the love of God, and that's the true fear of God, is you do it because you just don't want to displease him. 
again, I'm, a, I'm a still a virgin. And it wasn't because I took a, I'm afraid of him because again, what would I have to do if I gave up my virginity tonight in Columbus, Ohio, what would I have to do? I'd have to go to confession. Could I still be a priest? Yes. Could I still be a saint? Yes. So that's just not enough. Or I can say, I'm sorry. The thing that's kept me a virgin all these years by God's grace is because I don't want to hurt him. No, it's an act of love. It's not an act of fear. But you can use both because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of wisdom. So you go deeper. So God bless you for doing that. And may God continue to bless you and keep you pure. Good job. Okay. Let's go back here. True mama, Mary has her seven sorrows. So we unite our sorrows, blessed Virgin Mary, of course. But she also has great joy, you know. Mary just doesn't have sorrow. She has joy because her son is alive and resurrected. You know, so again, Mary sees the face of God and she has the joy of heaven. So there is the sorrow, but also there's joy, just like there is the resurrection. Isn't it amazing that the church spends 50 days in the Easter season and only 40 days in the Lenten season? But for whatever reason, we love to meditate on the passion of Christ, but we don't meditate much on his resurrection. The same with Mary. You gotta have a fullness of all things. Don't just stay focused on that. Focus also on her joy, especially when we do the will of the Father. It brings Our Lady great joy. She doesn't cry forever because Jesus died on the cross. She just doesn't. Just like Jesus is only three hours on that cross. He suffers still in us, but he's, he's fully alive before God. He doesn't cry forever. He's alive. So we can sit there and focus on both. So don't get overly either side. Always be balanced. Always take the fullness of Mary, the fullness of Jesus in their whole life and Joseph and all the great things. It only helps you grow better. Okay. Question number two. My wife goes nuts. Oh, she goes nuts a lot. Anyway, my wife goes nuts over a church that flies the LGB flag and puts a rainbow heart in their bulletin. We do not need that. We do not attend there, but she goes nuts. If, <laughs> yes, I could imagine. I was kidding the other day. We have at our parish, the, the place next door, the whole street, they all fly these uh, rainbow flags. And so someone in my parish says, Father, we have to start reaching out to these people. And I says, I agree. And I said, but we're not going to be rang, uh, putting any rainbow flag on the front of the church. Because if we did that, let's say we did that, that would make international news. Father Larry Richard is now flying, flying a rainbow flag in front of his Ain't going to happen. But to love those people, of course, we're called to love them. To leave them in sin, of course, never. Our job is to get them to heaven. But we don't judge them to heaven. We love them to heaven. So I can see your wife uh, getting upset about that. But again, the best thing to do is to pray for the people who do that. I think that they're trying to do, um, they're trying to, to reach out to everybody, but it's the wrong sign. You know, I think the cross of Jesus Christ is the best sign that he died for all people. You know, but when you identify people by their sexuality, that's where I have a little bit of a problem. Uh, we're not, we're, we're, our identity is not our sexuality. Our identity is who God calls us to be, his beloved sons, his beloved daughters. And that's what defines us, not our sexuality. And I think that's the biggest problem with so many of these people. They have defined themselves. This is what defines me. I am gay or I am bisexual or I am uh, whatever. You are created by God and loved by God. And so we don't do people, a, uh, we do people a disservice when we just call them, uh, by their sexuality. Uh, we meet people where they are, but we don't leave them there. So, but again, I can see that a little bit different because people are allowed to receive communion in the hand by the teaching of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. We don't sit there and say you're allowed to have homosexual sex and everything by the teaching of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. So they are two different realities. Okay. Okay. See, Father Benedict, Rochelle believed our pets will be in heaven too. And he knows it because he's there right now. So, okay. You deserve it. I don't know what you deserve, but jo Joshua. Remember the Old Testament is always before Christ had died and uh, 
uh, gave us the fullness of redemption. So you always got to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, okay? It will be hot here in Vegas next week. It's supposed to be 91, Barbara, both Monday and Tuesday. I know, 91, but I, I like heat. If I ever go to hell, it's going to be Dante's hell where it freezes always, freezing forever. I know I couldn't handle that. Okay. God said, St. Faustina, I want you to rest not only in your heart, but also in your hands. Yes. Brian, did you ever read the book Purgatory Explained by the Lives and Legends? N no, but my uh, the guy who lives with me, Father Wright, surely has. Again, I but the, the again, the teaching of the church on purgatory explicitly is two things. One, it exists, and two, it's a good and holy thing to pray for the dead. Everything else is theological opinion. And there's lots of saints who have written about it or talked about it. You know, Padre Pio was talking to people that were stuck in purgatory. There's a lot of stuff, but none of that is the official teaching of the church. It all helps us understand and get different uh, things in purgatory, but it's amazing that different saints had different visions of purgatory and different realities. But again, the main thing of it is it's the, uh, purgatory is the mercy of God. It's bringing us to the, the so we can enter into the heaven uh, and the embrace of God forever in heaven. So that's the biggest thing. Okay. Now, last question here from Carl. Bring it up because I have so much I'll do with this next year and I'm back, next week when I'm uh, back. Advice to help my friends in high school who struggle with lust. My Catholic high school is ridden with sin and I try to be light, but it's so difficult knowing my own sinfulness. The best thing is everyone, I struggle with lust. I am tempted every day of my life. It doesn't magically go away when you become a priest. I am a human being, I am a man. Now, I'm less tempted as I get older and temptation is not sin, let's be clear. You know, when we were in seminary, we were taught that some of the greatest sexual temptation will come at the consecration of the mass. I remember sitting there saying, that's disgusting, but it's true. The devil throws everything at you, anything but Jesus, anything but Jesus. And so you gotta just say the name of Jesus and come back. But there, lust, there's three parts of lust or three ways of dealing with lust. First of all, the three things is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Watching TV can be the world and you can get all kinds of lust of the flesh there. Sometimes it's just the flesh that you're just, um, you know, uh, it talks about a boy in his teens and most men have sexual uh, pushes, uh, uh, testosterone seven times a day. So it'll just be from the flesh that they're getting this uh, a lustful thing. And sometimes it's demonic. But how do we deal with that? Always go back to Jesus. And how did Jesus deal with temptation? First of all, he knew who he was. He didn't let his lust, or he didn't have lust, of course. Of course, Jesus never had lust. That ain't what I meant. But he was, he did not like, you know, like we talked about earlier with people who define themselves by their sexuality. Jesus let the Father define him. And in Mark chapter 111, how does God the Father define Jesus? You are my beloved son. You are my son whom I love, on whom my favor rests, or whom I am well pleased. So to deal with lust ourselves, we got to know who we are. We are beloved sons, that God loves us, that he wants us in heaven. Then Jesus, after that, it, was, it says the spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. We have been given the power of God's spirit the power of God inside of us, that we don't have to struggle with lust ourselves. God lives inside of you. So you let the God, the Holy Spirit that we're praying for, for this Pentecost to explode in our life. He has the power to do all kinds of stuff. His power is stronger than our weakness. And then he dealt with the devil. The spirit led him. He got the power from the spirit and his humanity. And how does the, uh, Jesus deal with the devil when the devil tempts him? He takes the holy word of God and he shoves it down the devil's throat. What you got to do is put lust, scriptures to help with lust in Google and get some scripture verses. And there's some great ones there. This is how St. Augustine stopped lusting all his, the rest of his life. As he heard, take and read, take and read, and you open up the Bible and it says, no longer will you do things in lust. Instantly it was changed because the power of God has that power to do that to you. So you memorize some scriptures and when you're being tempted by lust, Take the word of God and shove it down the throat of the devil, the world, or the flesh, and you can become victorious, okay? 
So I couldn't get to all the questions, but I got to a good many of you today. Uh, again, I ask you to please pray for me. Pray for me while I'm on vacation. Uh, pray for me. I'll be praying for you every day in my holy hour. I promise you. Uh, and then we'll see you. I'll be back, God willing, for next Thursday. So we'll have our time here next Thursday again, but back at the foundation. Okay, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He was Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.